Another risk is that they get irrelevant. So they still keep the switch, but people say, I have my iPad, I have my smartphone, I have my computer. I don't need this switch gaming experience. I can play all on my mobile. Mm -hmm. They are in this sense, if you compare it maybe to the gaming industry of the 1980s, a bit more, less relevant because you need an initial investment to buy a switch. It's not cheap. It's like 300 bucks. Then you have to buy games that cost 60 bucks or 50 bucks and stuff like this. So you have this financial hurdle. Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co slash F-R-E-E or www.firl.co slash free. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Firewall Podcast, best place for long-term stock investors. Uh, MJ, are you excited as I am? 100%. Very, very honored that we can have uh, the guest today. Yes. And uh, we are so honored because it's going to be our first overseas guest. Uh, and he comes from a country where Oktoberfest is celebrated, just to give you guys a hint. <laughs> uh, I love Bratwurst as well. So this evening, we're going to have Tillman Versch. Uh, he hosts a very, very interesting website and he runs this full time. Uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spoil the surprise, so I'm going to let Tillman. So Tillman, welcome to the Fire Podcast. Great to have. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no We have to clear. <laughs> yeah, that's the best start. It's always the start. Uh, so let's clap and... Uh, okay, start uh, again. No, I, I think we can, I can start there anyways. Okay. Okay. Go, go, go. Thank you very much for having me on. It's an honor to be here and uh, it's great to meet you two guys uh, via Zoom and record a great podcast for today. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, I discovered uh, Tillman uh, because of social media. So we have YouTube uh, and, uh, to thank for that. The uh, algorithm. MJ, yes, yes. Yeah. The Absolutely. algorithm. Um, you know, we, we said that the, uh, Great value investors uh, attract each other <laughs> or great content creators attract each other. And um, uh, I, I, I'm a great fan of Tillman's work. Uh, go check out his channel. We'll, we'll get him to introduce his channel at the end of the show so that you can give him a shout out. You can follow him and subscribe as well. Thank so, you. Yeah. So Tillman, um, perhaps a little bit about yourself. Um, let's, let's get to know a 15-year-old Tillman. What, what was he like in school? What what? What interested him? Was he athletic? Was he more of a passive guy? Was he a more studious person? <laughs> Not really happy <laughs> in school. And uh, yeah, at this time, I played too much computer games, I think. Uh, and was just like doing okay in school and not really athletic. <laughs> so no connection to stocks anyways. Uh, but just like maybe... I have an investment in Nintendo. I've also covered Nintendo on my uh, channel. So if people like computer games, um, this might be an attachment uh, I could make to my 15-year-old uh, self. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Actually, then MJ will be a, a, a great fan of it. He, he loves computer games. Uh, are, are you into Dota, Tillman? Um, I'm just like, I'm, I'm still playing the same games as I was 15. I'm just Age of Empires uh, 2 oh. fan, like the new edition. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. play some Nintendo and that's it. I'm just like conventional in this sense. There's nothing uh, special about my gaming. So uh, <laughs> Great. I'm, um, I'm too old for the new games now. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> A little bit too taxing, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I understand you studied geography and European Anton. I hope I pronounced this correctly. Ethnology. Yeah. yeah, and you did politics. You know what? What got you interested into that in the first place? Could you could you share with us why you did that? Um, at this time, I was living in the rural side of Germany, so somewhere in nowhere. Um, uh, they call it ba- Badisch Siberian, which is uh, related to Siberia because it's awesome. somewhere in the north, and nobody lives there. And I had, yeah, I was interested in politics and look, looked for a way to engage with society. And as I was 17, I started there um, a green youth group and connected people and um, was interested in the topic of politics because it also opened me a different world. I, I could travel to different conventions, could see other people could see the guys and girls or women and men you could see in tv get to know the parliament and get to know politics so it was a quite interesting opportunity with the studies it took me to berlin like coming from the rural side to the big city so it was a bit of a cultural shock and uh, <laughs> but also interesting and uh, i did study geography because it was like i wanted to go to berlin and it was harder to get into the city with other subjects uh, like mm. geography and geography was the way to open it. So it, it also was quite interesting. It's more like, it's a bit like a groundwork for understanding the world, which is also helpful to build investing capabilities on it. That's so right. you have to think about climate, you have to think about soil sometimes, which is an odd topic, but <laughs> It's also the source of civilizations. You have to think about cities. You have to think about economic uh, developments. We had one professor. He was specialized with his team on develop, like the rising of Asian countries. Mm. So he did some studies about Malaysia, Japan, and uh, also Vietnam as they were getting to growth, how they did it, what were their approach for. Whereas you had to think about creative industries. So it was a broad studies. It wasn't really related to investing because it was more the a bit more on a macro level. You don't have the companies you're focusing on. Maybe you have decision-making processes of company you were looking at, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's interesting. And I mean, what what did you, what's your perception prior to that of Asian countries? I mean, what... I want to see from a European lens, mm. what, what do you guys uh, see uh, Asian countries when you guys were growing up and has it changed significantly? It has changed. It's sadly connected with a lot of fear because there's the mm. China discourse, um, like China's taking over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's still, for me, Asia is still quite unknown because the orientation goes to the US for many Europeans. Mm. So the focus is on the US and maybe South America and uh, there is no direct relationship with Asia. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the knowledge about Asia is quite limited in Europe mm-hmm. and um, it's not, 
there's no so such deep knowledge about Asia. So it's good to be talking with you and uh, learning more and sharing perspectives. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm looking if you forward. think about Europe and Germany, especially, I think Germany is like an exporting nation. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there is a certain interest, and I think also our growth in the last 20 years profited massively from China because mm -hmm. there were big investments by the car industry, by other construction industries. Germany is really this so-called Mittelstand and Weltmarktführer. Like Mittelstand is hard to translate it because it's like small and mid-caps, but it's the German okay. version of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, niche player that have a leading world position, like we have around here in Baden-Württemberg where I live. Mm -hmm. You have EBM Pubs, which isn't listed. So it's a company that makes fans. You put these oh. fans into industrial buildings, for instance, or into oh, cooling. Oh, the huge ones, is it? Yeah. No, it's not. No, like the fans for for industrial buildings or elevator fans, uh, different fans to change air and I see. Uh, also to cool um, stuff. And they okay. are le leading in this perspective. There's a fan valley. <laughs> <laughs> and we have... In the south, um, we have Herrenknecht, it's called. It's a construction firm. They build this tunnel building machines, like machines that are as big as some houses. And they build these tunnels in Shanghai, in different regions. They build these tunnels through the Alps. And they are quite fascinating because they can dig and then also put cement plates on the wall and construct ah. in the same perspective. And it's fascinating what's around here. Yeah. I, I think that company may have been the one that helped uh, Malaysia build. Uh, we actually built a, how would I call it? Storm diversion drain plus a highway. And it actually used a TBM, a tunnel boring machine. And it actually yeah. had the capacity to, to actually build the concrete plates to actually, while it was boring it. I'm not too sure what was the name of the company. Maybe I should, you know, go, go find out and let you know whether it was, uh, but it, it, it we, we use a lot of German technology over in Malaysia, uh, Tillman. I mean, like yeah. uh, Siemens is very big here. Uh, even uh, I know Alstom is more French now, but uh, yeah, we we do use a lot of, I mean, we love German cars. Anyway, I, regardless of where we go, we just love German cars. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the, the key thing about German cars in Malaysia is that it's considered kind of like an upper middle class car. Yeah, I know. I know that that's a perception that's not necessarily true in all of Europe, but certainly in Malaysia, that's what we think. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's also the way German car makers position themselves to make more selective cars, so you could customize them and not the mass production. Because that's right. Yeah. If you have European incomes, you have to go into the higher premium brand space. And down here, like if I go five hundred meters, there's or one kilometer is the headquarter of Daimler-Benz. So Mercedes ah. is there. And down there, this road, I can go like two kilometers and there's Porsche headquarters. Wow. So I'm <laughs> between car makers. <laughs> Did they give you of a discount like, because of your proximity to them? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I I have to admit that I don't even earn a car. I have a bike and a public transport card. So um, I'm just like not the typical car customer. And also an investor because it's sometimes a hard business to invest in. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I've been to Zurich many times. I've been to Berlin sadly only once. But I, I know a lot of my colleagues when I was working in Zurich, uh, they, they don't own cars because the public transports. I envy you guys because you can take a tram, you can take a, you know, public transport is so efficient. 
it's not like that here. Uh, public transport is not as efficient as what we get mm. in what you guys get in Europe, and I think that's why in a way you can get away with uh, not having a car, and it's more cost efficient. Uh, it's more environmental friendly, and I think, I mean. When do you actually need a car? Why why do people buy cars in Germany? If you don't mind me asking, is it more for prestige? Is it more for you know? Mm, in the denser regions, you don't really need it. I think mm -hmm. people have a high income or high pos possibility to spend, so they they spend it on cars and mobility because if you need to, to transport something, if you want to do a travel with your family, it's sometimes practical. Um, mm -hmm. so, and if you're living in the rural sites, it's harder to live without a car. So you have flexibility, like I there see. could be other solutions as well. And in the cities, it gets less, but we also have urban sprawl. We have big houses outside of the city. So you, you, many people have a car and it's like standing 90% of the time, but, uh, they have it and I they see. own it. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to touch a little bit about investment literacy hmm? exposure, especially among the youth in Germany. And, uh, you know, I don't know whether you could, you could shed some light, especially on the European perspective as well. So are you guys exposed from young about financial literacy? Is it something very commonly taught in schools or is it, is it something that you have to learn as part of your adulting, adulting <laughs> in a way? No. <laughs> So Germany is, is, is still a country that's dominated by um, not really investors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so okay. compared to the US, it's, it's, law, it's a developing country. I often make the joke that the investing scene in Boston is okay. as big as the whole German investing scene. Okay. So you still have a, don't have a big investing scene and people have to learn it by themselves. So I see. We have a long period of time where we have low interest rates and people were savers which is generally mm -hmm. good but mm -hmm. after saving you have to do the next step and invest at a certain point mm -hmm. and people don't do that that often and they're okay. cautious and germany still has which which is also <laughs> world leading for germany insurance branches uh, ah. that are strong. so you have allianz and all the other insurers that are interesting and many people still buy their products what was germany what was really an interesting product for many germans is life insurance ah, so people have have this but if you look at the bond market and the way <laughs> bonds will be returning money it looks awful so Correct. A few more people are waking up to buy stocks, and I think it's maybe 20% in the highest regions mm -hmm. that own stocks mm -hmm. or funds or any other stock market product. So it isn't that good. Um, we also had some privatization plans for the rental system or not the rental system, like the retirement system. Sorry, that's mm -hmm. the right word. Mm -hmm. um, but it was done in a way... In my eyes, it doesn't help compounding, but it helps the insurance industries. Ah. So we had some lobbying there and we had products that could help you. Generally, if you think about the different cases, I also did try to study this before I started investing, but there are so ah. many products. Yeah. And they can help you with some financing. For instance, if you want to use it to buy a flat, then it might help you to get paid a credit back and stuff like this. But it's really all in all, it was 
not really a good solution for many people. So we are currently discussing about building like in Sweden, the state fund or in Norway, there are different models in the Northern countries mm -hmm. that's invests on behalf of the people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's helpful that, that more and more people are investing, but it's also would also be helpful to have some trusted things you could invest in um, because it's hard <laughs> Like if you think about an investment, you have to do to be good at invest, investing. Many people can't just do this. So you have to have some Sorry. general products that have a high level and that can have a low, uh, low fee structure and that help people. So generally in the political way, it might be better to build such a product for all. Um, there are many discussions. We currently have election about the way it's done, but generally it, I think it makes sense to have such a product. I see. And uh, yeah. Oh, I want to give us some politics, I think later on, but yes. uh, uh, I think we, I want to go back to your your journey into investing. So mm. when did you realize that, you know, investing is not just, you know, something like for the rich or something, but it's something that you actually can do and you actually have to do, especially in the, kind of economic environment that you're in where you know essentially the interest rates are closing on to negative right when was that when was the moment or was it gradual i i burned my fingers a few times on the stock market because right, we had right. this 2000 bubble it mm. was like many germans went to the stock market they bought stocks they bought the uh, telecom providers and lost money. I also lost money. At this time, I could have doubled my money. It's, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it had had the same feeling as maybe 2020 somehow. But mm -hmm. um, I think it's more substantial what happened 2020. Like the stock market went up like crazy. And then it was five years, 10 years of like pain. Yeah. Um, so this was a time I burned my fingers. Then I came back. As I got some money, like the main trigger for me to think about investing is that I did get some money. I could dispose and build something with it. Mm -hmm. My plan was always to build something with it. But as I had minor knowledge in investing, I just went to a bank and uh, was thinking they would help me. But banks are mostly, not all, but mostly at this time were sales machines that want to sell mm -hmm. products, want to have fees and want to earn from this fees and you have to pay the nice bank office and the nice guy with the suit sitting there and Sorry. selling you something and uh, there was a certain push coming from them and <laughs> i saw i bought some funds on the day of the lehman collapse which wasn't the best timing <laughs> okay and then i shit in my pants and sold some of these funds uh, with okay. not holding them so i burned it twice um but at a certain point i was analyzing different and I said, okay, I'd analyze different products and analyze this, this state funded products and take a look at these products. But yeah, it didn't make really sense to invest in those products. I still found some cooperatives. So we mm -hmm. have this attendance cooperatives that have huge housing stocks because they were mostly built around 1900, 1920. Mm -hmm. it's quite attractive to be there if you want to rent like this flat is also a cooperative i pay less as the meat spiegel like the rent level and the others have and the renovation standard is higher and i'm not fully owner so my capital commitment is like a few thousand euros mm -hmm. and i get higher standards and get better living and yeah. pay a rent as well but the rent is 
substantially lower. So it's if from an investing perspective, it's good. And also from a social perspective, it's good. Um, this is one way I did invest, but then I gradually went to stocks uh, because it's the way to to build something. And um, I also got interested in how really good investors do this because there are some outstanding guys out there. I had the luck to, to be able to talk to some of them. Many are still private and you will only hear about them if you meet some good guys and they say, do you know this guy? Yeah, somewhere there. And um, yeah, but some are, were able to talk to and share. And it was quite interesting to see some guys that like compounded with 30% per annum, which is still like it's insane, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like for 40, 30, even 15% is really like strong. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. Yes, yes. Uh, so, do, uh, among 10 of your friends, I, I mean, it's just a sampling. Among 10 of your friends, close friends, if you grew up with them, how many of them will likely be having the same mindset like you into investing, into compounding their money? If you could give us a sample, rough sample. Zero will fund it. Oh. I think it might also be wow. one or two. Like from 10, it depends a bit. I think I'm not sure if it, I, I should check Facebook and see what these people are doing, <laughs> but they, Nah, nah. I, it, it's it's not a high percentage. Some okay. friends of mine, yes, they are working in industries, but it's not my school friends. And I think about my school class. They are, they are working partly in really good middle class uh, middle shans, uh, offices or big companies, and mm-hmm. I think their salary should be good. But I'm not sure if they're really investors. I see. Or you have this this as I was at the beginning too. Like you, you start investing and you're completely lost and then you start trading a bit and what doing whatever. So it's not that high of a percentage. Um, and really engaged investors are rare in Germany. Um, it's, it's growing and I'm not sure. Ian Castle described it a bit for the US and the micro cap space. It were mostly old men. Yeah, And over the years, more and more young people came to it. And I think in Germany, we see the same development, but it's still uh-huh. more gravitated to older people. Yeah, I see. I see. And it's, it's mostly men. I think yeah. in Germany, it's 89% men, which is also okay. a bit, bit strange because if you think about investing as a profession, you might be able to combine it with family, but it's still stuck. I, I have this uh, kind of side question, right? Like, I'm not sure if you've checked your own viewers, like what the demographics are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the subscribers on YouTube. How many uh, men, how many women? It's 100% men on YouTube. <laughs> but it might be like, or let's say 95 to 100%, it depends on the time frame in the video. Uh-huh. And um, on Spotify, it's interesting, it's more female. So oh. maybe Spotify has better data mm-hmm. or even Spotify is more like a female app. I have the mm. suggestion, I think, because more, if I talk to Spotify hardcore users, it are more, they are more female. So this might mm. be the reason for this. And so if they subscribe, the possibility is higher okay. for them right. to hear. And okay. yeah, but also with other channels I watch and see YouTube is mostly a male domain. I think right. I'm not sure. Maybe general, it's 70, 30%. And 
maybe Spotify might be more woman. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, they yeah. can't spend that much time watching. <laughs> Or I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They they clever and combine it with walking and uh, going multitasking. Outside. You know, men aren't that good. Uh. Women are very good at it actually. Yeah. Is there is there a book? Or, uh, you know, MG asked you, uh, how, uh, when do you pivot into this? Was it a book? Was it a person? Was it an event that really got you into stop, stops? I was visiting my aunt and she had this book of a German crash guy. He called a crash and uh, he's also, but he's also a value investor. Okay. And I think his crash call was very precise some years before the financial bubble. Okay. And I found his book and he had some basic rules about investing and he was helpful. Yeah. I see. For me to to get attached with this investing. I see. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you pick up the skills of uh you know reading financial statements and everything by yourself or did you do you have a structure or help someone actually helped you along the way to understand businesses or or financial statements? I tried to pick them up by myself, um, but I'm not like super into financial statements. I like financial statements are one data point mm-hmm. that are interesting for you, and they have to go in the right direction. But in most cases, if things are really looking good on financial statements, you can't build your edge as an investor. Like if mm-hmm. you want to say you have to plan to outperform and Just if you're starting, you want to learn and experiment, like investing good based on financial statements and quantitative analysis might work, might be the way Mm -hmm. for you. But I think if you want to try to outperform and focus on misunderstood companies, the financial statements are one interesting access point, but it's more about understanding people, culture, Mm -hmm. products. There might be even companies that have built out a product um, that isn't really showing its strength. But if you have understood the product, what it could do, where the demand is, it might in three years turn into great financial numbers. So Mm. financial statements are one important component. And um, I think if yesterday we had to talk about portfolio construction, and I think The most important thing, and if you think about your portfolios, don't uh, have a blow up. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm, I had my blow ups, <laughs> and I'm scared <laughs> away from debt. Or if you want to invest with debt, you have to be really, really ca- careful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like companies that have cash on their balance sheet and that are, in this sense, more conservative. Um, and um, This is really helpful that you take care of not blowing it up if you look at the financial numbers. But financial numbers are just one indicator and you have to make a sense what is happening behind the scenes, behind the company. Maybe it's just my view as someone who studied like coming back to the study social sciences mm-hmm. and more having like this, I don't know, holistic view if you want to frame it like this to better understand the company as a living structure As a, with his own rules, his own gravity, with his own yeah structures. So what 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 uh you know it's clear to me that you've you've gone through a lot, and I just want to know like how would you describe, or if there was ever a label uh your your investing style is that is there one in the first place? How would you describe it? I'm struggling a bit with the label of a value investor. 
-hmm. because mm -hmm. it's yes. not really precise. I, I would frame it value-oriented investor. But in some talks, I noticed that I'm more value-oriented <laughs> or like more of a value investor. So I think it's about price. And uh, I like this idea of builders, like mm -hmm. people who can build companies in a certain way, have a vision. I don't know, vision is really the right word, but know how to balance reality and demands and what is out there to build a product that is desirable for people and that don't look about the next quarter to fine tune something, but look out five years, 10 years, and even take some pains um, mm -hmm. to build out a better product, better value proposition for the customers. And uh, yeah, I also think it's important to have companies that add something better to the world and not to have companies that are just like, yeah, exploiting short-term sided, right. but that create win-wins for different stakeholders. And it's, I think the some might disagree, but I think the most important <laughs> component of the of companies aren't the investors. So investors come last, first come customers, then employees, and after that, a few steps then come uh, shareholders. All right. Even bondholders are more senior. <laughs> the equity investors sometimes forget mm. that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, yeah, do you have a conversation? Sorry? Yes. Yeah. But so, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Do, do you do you have uh, so you describe? Uh, I just want to understand the way you look at investments, perhaps in a in a case study or real life stock, right? So, what would be a stock that you would say that you that you're looking at right now, or you've looked at it in the past that that fits your vision of how you invest? Like you know, you mentioned things like uh, you know, mixture of price and mixture of you know, builders, people being able to balance, you know, uh, you know, the demand and all that. It's hard. Maybe you can pick one stock that interests you. Um, I have this, this European company that invests in uh, tech early stage um, mm -hmm. or Nintendo. Um, what is more Okay, is Carl Zies listed? Hmm? Again, sorry. Uh, Carl's, yes, the lens company. Carl Zeiss, the German lens company. I think it's listed. Yeah. Um, but I haven't you done haven't any been... work on it. So I, okay. I visited the, the city it is in, Jena. Yeah. If it's yeah. really beautiful, they are yeah. in the valley and they have a nice tower and it's quite interesting, but I'm not invested in it. And uh, yeah. Probably give, give an example of a company, a German company that you have uh, looked at. Because uh, I think Tillman gave a choice, right? Uh, we, we had to pick either Nintendo. Ah, but it's or, not a German company. But maybe if you want to talk about German companies, I'm fine to talk about German companies as well. Yeah. Um, give give one give one that probably has a brand name to you know uh, globally. That, that <laughs> kind of fits how you. you yeah, you, I actually want to talk to you about the Wirecard scandal, but I re I reserve. Maybe that we can talk about the Wirecard scandal. Ah, it's, yeah, please. Why don't we talk about the Wirecard scandal? <laughs> if you want to talk about the Wirecard scandal, it's it's such a failure. <laughs> Sorry, it's just like the first you you're thinking about. I came in touch with Wirecap before the friend said they look cheap on a numbers basis, and then I met another guy who's a financial journalist in Germany. He's really good. Um, mm -hmm. He has this website börsengeflüster.de. It's oh, like, like stock market whispering. Is there in English? No, sorry, it's just oh, German. Man. If you wanna, 
if you want to have some, you could use it with DBL or Google Translate if you want to ah, read yeah. about okay. German small and mid caps, but it's German. So sorry okay. about this. But he <laughs> no told you the story about the, the Turkish boxer. Have you okay. heard about it? This story no. with Wirecard? Enlighten us. <laughs> um, there was one journalist who was criticizing it very early because I think he it's a fraud and mm -hmm. um, they found out his address and they went there, the board of Wirecard, I think, with some guys from Wirecard. Okay. And they said, here, look out, out there, out of the window, there's this guy, he's a Turkish boxer. And in Turkey, people will be killed for even less than what you've what you've said this was the claim they made also it was not understandable for me anymore this wire cut thing okay and there were some rumors in the stock market scene if people talked about wire card if you talk to certain people at conferences they said oh, oh that's not investable it's really bad thing and also this indication you can't do this as a business that's totally crazy and oh. all the way they went to the stock market um is really fascinating they did this this I don't know how it's called in English, just this strange IPO where they didn't list with a bank, but went public through buying something bankrupt. Oh, a shell company direct there. listing. Shell, yeah. yeah. Shell company directly to the stock market. So there was no really big process of scanning. And they were really like, if you read the reports, they were really like optimizing for talking to shareholders, improving shareholder value and use this as an exploitive tool to... <laughs> get money out of the company and making this this story about we are the the, the german champion um we have this um great technology and making a cool story and many people followed this and uh, there was even like there were critical voices but mm -hmm. they made it a bit like a bit like scientology <laughs> so mm -hmm. like Psycho people yeah, wanted yeah. to save like um the shareholder rights and do this as a profession and go there and ask critical questions. They came to the annual meeting and they were just like, it was a super hostile cl climate for them. Wow. And they were pushed out and it, behind the scenes, if you see the reports and watch some documentaries, it was, I think, more criminal criminal organization. Wow. And okay. They, they did things like they came out of... Um, I'm not sure if it's online gambling, money laundry. It's like they did some of the processing for this and built some technology and also had this tie to some um, spy agencies. I don't know how you say it in English. Because, yeah, spy agencies. Because they yeah. were interested in this, this transfer of data and stuff like this. And so there was a huge criminal intent, but somehow they made it with a clever communication strategy and with the interest of, maybe local federal um, politics to have some champion there, not to mm. kill this champion, to get some protection from politics. Wow. Which was all in all an awful thing because they did this, they got this legitimation from the uh, authorities, not only, but okay. also from the uh, Wirtschaftsprüfer, like the big four. Oh, the big KPMG. four accounting firms. Yeah, the accounting firms. audit firms. Sorry, yeah. audit firms. Yeah, audit firms. You're right, and they did get this approvement, but there are some oh stories about the auditors going with them on events and um, um, having a lot of spending, a lot of money, and having naked girls they could suit eat sushi from, and <laughs> like all these things you you even don't 
think that are real, but they seem to be real. They should make a movie out uh, of it, man, Tillman. <laughs> I think they are working on it. It's really yeah. like it's really like strange what they did there, but they somehow made it. And the thing is, they had a, this example with the Turkish boxer is a good one. This mm. kind of style they did with every critique. So mm. if you're a tiny critique, <laughs> tiny guy who wants to do critique on this, and if you're right, they would come with their lawyers. They would come with all the millions they took from the stock market to fund their criminal, whatever you call the system. Yeah. And um, they would push against you and uh, push you against the wall. So there was this, they somehow built this kind of culture where they could do this. They found many people who were satisfied with this company because the stock price was going up. Ah. It was like, if you think from the peak, maybe it was, a, I'm not sure. Uh, it was a hundred beggar. Um, yeah, easily a hundred beggar. Let me see. I don't know how, where they started when they went to the stock market, but so they made many people rich and yeah, uh, it was a story that many loved. So it all ended in this big disaster. And yeah. I think there was a big failure on the politics side because you had, they made it um, that uh, people believe they are legit legitimate company mm -hmm. and also like our our control instruments and our control bureaucracy failed on this badly mm -hmm. but it's uh, yeah it, what i'm not sure if you really will have this won't have this again because you have a, an area where a lot of money is and mm -hmm. you have people interested in being getting rich quick and pulling this money out and you had the scandals also in the US, Enron and other companies. Yeah. So I'm not really sure um, if we are protected from this. So that's also one lesson that's also, I would book it under the blow up lesson, stay away from things that smell fishy. Um, mm. how, how do you maybe, think the Ger German authorities or probably the investors themselves could have avoided this Tillman? Uh, I mean, what would the great that you pointed out these journalists that you know put in on whispers and all those kind of things but in terms of the authorities do you think they could have done much more in your personal opinion or do you think that it was enough for them it was more the investors who had to understand the business well what are your thoughts i think they could have done way more um mm -hmm. they didn't do the job they did the opposite they did harm <laughs> because they said they are foreign short sellers uh, they mm. bought this this claim why i had made said they are foreign short sellers that are against German leading companies and we have to protect mm. the German leading companies. German interests. Mm. Which, which is, yeah, generally as a politician, you have to help the companies in your country and support them, but you also have, to, if there are claims, you have to go after them and make sure you control those claims. And if you don't do this, it's not doing your job. Uh, you yeah. should have done this. And the thing is that the stock market public is so tiny in Germany. I had this one video. It was one of the, I had luck. I did one video on Wirecard. It was early and it was very good. So it went to 10,000 views. But for mm. this kind of scandal, it's, it's nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it should be if more you think about the general public, um, it's really, it's tiny, the interest and people are just like, yeah, there's not that many stockholders. So there is this, this, sentiment that makes it really hard and uh, 
I think there's also another big connection between politics and the stock market scene. Mm -hmm. um, and it's more shifted to the conservative politics than in this part have been maybe also holding their hands above Wirecard. That's ah. my way of observe it. So, yeah. Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it so that you actually know what you're doing, especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time, buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing. You'll also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses slash SIB. It was, it was a, yeah. Shit show. What? Sorry. What, what? What is the example? So that's one extreme end. Uh, Wirecard. Mm -hmm. Can you give us uh, me and MJ an example of a a good, a great German company that have been a multi bagger, and what are the characteristics that they have displayed? Actually, and then you know, basically, a stock you wish you held. Yeah, you wish ago. you had bought it. Yeah, many years ago for, for in the year two thousand, you know, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it depends a bit. Uh, one thing. There are many interesting companies in Germany. The thing is, many great companies aren't listed because we ah. have we have uh, built our economy over decades and decades, and uh, they could be like you have this compounding effect that's not part of the public um, because families could help these companies. Mm. And one good thing about Germany is we have many of the banks that really take care about companies. I ah. talked to one fintech investor. He told me about other regions in the world. Okay, these banks aren't there for finance, small and mid caps. Mm. Yes, we had some problems two thousand eight, two thousand nine. As some of the smaller companies had problems with like, um, yeah, finding finance. But all in all, the banks are working and help the middle stand to grow. So there's this ecosystem see. where you don't need to be listed. And there are some companies that. <laughs> interesting and great but they are listed because they were listed at a certain point and nobody mm. wants to take it out and they're 75 percent family controlled oh wow so, okay <laughs> so it's just like they are just listed and yeah it's not really that they're super shareholder focused because the family controls them and i think about other topics mm. so you have a certain part of the german economy that's not listed if you think about Maybe, for instance, Miele, you might know the dishwashers and the washing machines. They are high ah. quality. They aren't listed. Liebherr, they did do the fridges and also construction. Mm. This Herrenknecht company, I told you, this tunnel machines. And yeah. Liebherr, they, many they also companies. Do, do cranes, right? The crane, right? Yeah. Liebherr. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's very famous. Yeah. <laughs> they aren't listed and I think they're good businesses and uh, there are some, yeah. Some companies that aren't listed, so you can't invest in them. And I see, I see. There's what, what also will be a listed one that is good. Sorry, will be a listed smaller one. caps. Um, 
in the green tech space that are quite interesting. I did this interview with Abo Wind. Um, okay. Abo, yeah, Wind. It's in the what, same what English. They, do? <laughs> <laughs> they built uh, wind plants and solar and energy projects. So mm -hmm. they are part of this transformation to green electricity. And I think they had a CAGR of 50% per annum since 2017. There's a lot of multiple expansion in it. And it's also the shift to green. Mm -hmm. But generally, they are doing good. They have this project in the pipeline that's getting reevaluated, and this is quite interesting for insurances and stuff like this. So it's mm -hmm. it already run, but they still have a lot of a lot of projects to do. Mm -hmm. And it's not like it's not the perfect recurring revenue business. But if you think about the headwind they have, <laughs> it's just like they will have work for a while. And I there see. are other wind park developers, Energy Contour, or so which is quite interesting and um, another German company that's quite strong and maybe one of the strongest over the last years and underestimated companies and still I think compared to peers in the US not that richly valid as HelloFresh um, mm -hmm. like the, the boxes they send out with food so ah. we can order meals and they send it to you to your home and It really is also multi-bagger over the last years and they st have still have a long runway to grow because they built this new category of food boxes. I see. pre-prepared meals you can order to your home and uh, enjoy. Yeah, that's also yeah. another interesting company. There are many like companies in the niche. There's one bigger if you want to bet a bit on capital allocators in Germany. It's MBB. What do they uh, do? They buy and hold different businesses. And mm -hmm. um, it's it's quite interesting what they have achieved. If you look at the stock chart, it's like going from 10 to 120 or something. So it's wow. uh, good how they did it. They also know how to play the stock market at a certain point because they spin off their businesses. <laughs> and then ah. they went down and then buy it back and do stuff that's... Oh, MBB, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I've heard of that before because uh, there's an American investor. I forgot for mm. the life of me. I can't remember. He's focused on uh, European stocks. And yeah, uh, yeah he, 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 he mentioned about this because they usually buy uh, mergers of companies and then when it's valuable, mm. then they'll spin it off and they'll spin it off. Mm. I think, I think, yeah. <laughs> so actually, I, I, I know you're a fan of uh, Nintendo, right? Uh, not just... Mm. The gaming but the storm as well so you know you're not sure of us like why why nintendo why is it an yeah, interesting uh investment to you nintendo is is an interesting investment for me i did this long video um you might want to link it as yep. well if you that's yeah, also I, we will put it in the link yeah, yeah. please with uh, ryan o'connor and uh, i hope i have it right i always miss it up he's i think it's todd wanning sorry yeah. um no worries and It's it's quite interesting what has Nintendo achieved over the last decades. Like if you think about the time you were younger and uh, the IP they have, and even your parents might have been younger this time, and they played Nintendo, they built these consoles, they built very interesting characters like Mario and Zelda and Luigi, and we all know them, and mm -hmm. just a small toad and whatever. And um, they seem to be transforming that business away from like if you think about nintendo and look at the stock chart it's like 
going up, going down, <laughs> going up, going down. It's yeah. this 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 console circle. So you have to build a new console. Like, wait, wait a second. Oh, like, nice, nice. This one, uh, the switch, the switch, right? Yeah. And you have to like with every console, your customers disappear because you build this ecosystem around the console. You have different devices you build around the console, like instance the ring ring fit and whatever you build oh i didn't even know that <laughs> wow yeah you, you can use it for training and um you can build this kind of hardware software ecosystem a bit but you have to get uh, every customer new with your when you're building your new console because yeah mm. the hardware is too old and stuff like this and as you might be gamer guys as well <laughs> Yeah. You notice if you were younger, Dad, I want to have a new computer. Mine is two years old and it's it's too 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 old to play good games, and I need to it's buy too one. Too slow. <laughs> yeah, and I think this also has changed. Like if you think about the computers you have and want to play games, maybe not the newest high quality game, but if you think about playing games, you could do it with your old machines and could do yeah. it with your machines you already have from the office and so this the circle is not that strong anymore and like even with the switch nintendo is this guy this <laughs> thing is four years old yeah oh. you could still play it like this not this one but like the general hardware and the conception and stuff like this mm -hmm. so you could play with it still in a good way so this hardware boom bust cycle is going away yeah and nintendo in my eyes, they are switching to more this kind of Apple model, mm, like incremental changes to to a hardware you already or a system you already conceptualized, and that's good and it has quality. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you could also go about like releasing the OLED version, so there's no no frame like this. It's smaller and it's higher quality, higher resolution, better sound, more. Uh, had uh, more space to save games on it ah, and memory. they're going into this incremental bettering and keeping this system mm. so they're also keeping their customers so it's quite interesting for you to buy maybe nintendo games for the switch and not being wiped out with your ecosystem if the switch isn't continued yep. but you have the chance like even like buying, if you buy it early, you can have eight years of game supplies, but with the Switch, you might be able to have like 10, 12 years of game supply with interesting prolong, games. Prolong the, the ecosystem lifespan. Yeah. yeah. And Nintendo now has access to the customer directly. They have this email address with the Nintendo account that's growing strongly. So they can try to send out email campaigns, reactivate the customers. Nintendo is quite clever about this. They do it mm. monthly. And like, I want to spam you and um, <laughs> they do nice mails and thoughtful mails. They start going into other things. I have one thing I should collect as well. Wait a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Nintendo is, uh, yeah, Nintendo is amazing. Yeah. I Actually, the I posted on Twitter. Some of my followers might notice. This is the, if this German company would be public, it would be also good investment. Oh, I, I, I buy, I love those, Tillman. I, I eat those once a month at least, actually. Haribo. Haribo I didn't know they were German. <laughs> they are German. They are made from Cologne. They have this Haribo series. 
of Nintendo and they are working a bit on positioning themselves for the release of the new Mario movie with this. I think it's ah. A, ah. kind of like theatrical ins inspiration. Like, so you build this new product, you get your customers in touch with limited edition of these gummy bears with wow. stars and coins and stuff like this. If they, if the they back. do list Hillman, please let me know. I, I'll be, I'll be, I think I'll they don't need to list. It's, it's a cash machine. <laughs> yeah. And, and they were really successful with, uh, still probably successful with Pokemon Go, right? I know it, it was really big for mm -hmm. Nintendo. It, it was big and Nintendo is just like holding 30% of the Pokemon company. So they profit from licensing revenues that's coming from the Pokemon set. But Nintendo is not Pokemon, which is yeah. cool, which might some people might mix up. Sorry, you're right yeah. that they were successful. Just wanted to make this point clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and coming back to the story, Nintendo is producing. They also, if you look at um, the Lego connection they've built, they've built this kind of Lego ecosystem mm. with Nintendo. So you have Mario as a Lego figure. You have different sets. You have a cube that can turn into different places where you can play Lego with. So they're building this kind of new products around um, the Nintendo brand and using their brand, their IP to monetize in a bad, better way. They are building theme parks. Uh, they are building merchandise shops. It's a bit like Disney, but not, not that fully controlled with the uh, merchandising and brand mm -hmm. things, but they are going into this direction and all should come back that you finally go and buy a switch and buy either some of these cartridges like the the games on this way or even mm -hmm. better for nintendo you buy it in the cloud or you mm -hmm. buy it for with your nintendo account you can make direct sales through it and uh yeah there's this eShop. i think it's this one okay so you could go wow. to the eShop and buy Nintendo games directly, which is uh, better for the margin of Nintendo because um, they don't have the, the local retailer and they don't have to ship a cartridge and they even take the higher games uh, prices for these games. Wow. They also can discount the games and yeah, you see the eShop, you could buy games there wow, directly. Nice. And what is also quite interesting, Nintendo with now 85 million 90 million maybe 100 million soon devices it's an interesting ecosystem to go to as a producer so i talked ah. to a game developer they said they will release the first game for nintendo now mm -hmm. and they could use to develop games and go for the switch and nintendo a bit of a bad thing is that nintendo still has these four five year old um games okay so for instance if you play fifa on the Switch, it's still the old graphics from 2019, I think. Okay. So at a certain point, it gets annoying. But Nintendo has the chance with building a Switch Pro or whatever they call it um, to open the market up for this, this unlock demand. So you could use your Switch, for instance, and go and play some hardware-driven, super hardware-intense games on the way mm -hmm. or use it at your computer at all or your screen at home. Okay. So they have this chance to unlock this um, existing demand with an upgrade. Currently, okay. they didn't do it, which I also think is quite wise. Nintendo is a bit conservative. 
So you mm-hmm. have to, if you will like it as investment, you have to get comfortable with it. It's not the 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 shareholder pushing and super aggressive company. Nintendo is really like long-term oriented and but it's also a clever strategy i think mm-hmm. because they are the not really challenged brands brand for the family and family entertainment mm-hmm. and they also have a good good reputation which can transform in higher prices so if you think about the switch this thing mm-hmm. still costs 320 euros or something wow and it's it's the same device they built like four years ago they did some smaller updates might yep. be some smaller hardware improvements but it's not like the newest uh, oled smartphone yeah. tv whatever yeah it doesn't need a it's super still... duper chip lah, put it this way <laughs> yeah so, uh, so like in terms of uh, sorry you got something to say hmm? no no it's fine so like uh let's talk a bit about the risk right so i think that would be like just the whole branding and it's 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 almost like a it's almost like a mythical being really in my eyes at least for Nintendo right I mean Super Mario all that when you think video games you think Super Mario but what about the 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 competition right so if you were a shareholder what level of concern will you put that you know Nintendo will not be able to be as relevant let's say in five to ten years time yeah the main risk is that. Like the, currently, if you look at the share price, if you look at the whole gaming sector, everything came back. Even if Nintendo had a good year, also com- like not maybe compared to 2020, but compared to 2019, they looks really, really strong, and this business seems to be substantially better. Mm-hmm. But it still could be that you have this peak console circle. Mm. It's like that you say, okay, Nintendo said they want to plan a longer console circle, but through some technological technological chains or through them being wrong, the console isn't relevant anymore and you have to buy this new console and all the hustle has to start from the beginning. They might mm. even, like as they did with the Wii U, make a, a bad console so they get irrelevant and they might run into trouble. But okay, Counter argument is they still have this IP. Maybe they use this IP and licenses, and so you won't get be broke and mm-hmm. uh, might be also an interesting business. I see. Another risk is that they get irrelevant. So they still keep the switch, but people say, I have my iPad, I have my smartphone, I have my computer. I don't need this switch gaming experience. I can play all on my mobile. Mm-hmm. They are, in this sense, if you compare it maybe to the gaming industry of the 1980s, a bit more, less relevant because you need an initial investment to buy a Switch. It's not cheap. It's like 300 bucks. Then you have to buy games that cost 60 bucks or 50 bucks and stuff like this. So you have this financial hurdle. So it's more kind of bad on the American, European, maybe Chinese consumer and maybe richer people in Malaysia, but not the the, the general People, they still buy the smartphone games that are cheaper. And Nintendo also hasn't made it to smartphones really good with the games. Mm-hmm. So they could have done more. So they aren't really good in this way of mm-hmm. as aggressive growth, taking the new possibilities. They are more going their own way with the hardware, software interaction. 
which is also quite nice. Like you could use this thing here. You could use it like playing like this. It has force feedback. You can combine it with the ring fit and make a game out of it. I hope I have to get the right thing. No, I have to get the right thing to <laughs> use it as a device and you could push it and wow. make some training and stuff like this. So there's also a surplus for this model. So you could say, okay, it's old fashioned and doesn't make sense, but all in all, they are targeting, like Apple, the premium sector of the gaming space. Mm. Um, they're even broader brands as Xbox and PlayStation in my eyes because Xbox and PlayStation is more targeted to male audiences that want to have good hardware and like the, the 13 or 12 to 25-year-old males mm -hmm. or 30 years old males. And Nintendo is something you could play with your grandma. At ah. the moment, and it's also nice for kids to have this. Uh, there's nostalgia. Dad is playing the first video games and the first Super Mario with the kids, and now you have also the Super NES games on the Switch. You can also play the old emulations, and uh, it's it's quite interesting to have this broader category. You might not have the stronger hardware addicted and software addicted category which might be also a problem for them because you have this trouble with china and the legislation they said we want to limit this time consumption of uh, games which might be yeah. also good for nintendo because nintendo made it to the market in china and they have the partnership with tencent yeah yeah and nintendo is actively like the idea of them becoming irrelevant is might not be that feasible if you think how they are working on making themselves connected yeah. with their customers and being visible. Um, like they built this, this partnership with Lego. They built yeah. the theme parks. They oh. built theme park interactions with the Switch. They built a partnership with Haribo. They built a partnership with this shoe companies. You know, this, um, as I was young, it was super cool to have the shoes that blink when you walk. Oh, that they one. Built, <laughs> they built a, a shoe with Super Mario in it that links when you walk. So they've they've built these partnerships and the shoes are sold in an interesting way. So I think they're working on a clever positioning to keep in yeah, front of the them. eyes. And then coming back to the idea of the, this is part of my thesis, I'm long. I'm, Mm. This is no advice. And mm. I have a question <laughs> for for from uh, yeah. uh, the way you see things, right? Um, I, I remember when I was still playing consoles, uh, you know, Xbox Kinect and PlayStation Move, right? Uh, and they came out in the same era uh, for Nintendo Wii. But for some reason, only at least the reason it loots me that only Nintendo got out of that and unscathed because no one's yeah. playing Kinect anymore. Uh, you know, no one is playing, to my knowledge, PlayStation Move anymore. But everyone remembers, you know, Nintendo Wii and the weird uh, characters that they had. And even today, if you look at the how they've constructed the Switch, you can take out the controllers mm. and kind of create like a pseudo Nintendo Wii, right? Why do you think that that more movement kind of a console worked for Nintendo, but not for the others? I wasn't playing console games at this moment, so I can't really give you a good answer i just came back with nintendo and uh, also the, the lockdown 
topics we had and i think we might also see an autumn in the winter where we might have some troubles again mm. because vaccination rates aren't that high so if you have the chance get a vaccine please <laughs> yeah. yes 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 because otherwise yeah we might run into trouble and uh, hospitals might be overrun so there might be a setback again from yeah. the level we have now so people came back to using this and nintendo somehow has made it to keep up a love brand and uh, be really clever about the way they engineer things mm. like maybe you could say nintendo is conservative they aren't pushing hard enough they aren't releasing things but they are more in the game of which is a bit german but also maybe more japanese of perfection mm. and um, this might be a bit of a problem in current times because if you think about software the new windows version is released and then you're you're the tester for that it being stable and stuff like this um windows has, has gotten way better but you you know from former times um yeah that yeah they were testing out and yeah but i think generally with nintendo it's not like it's not to be about being new and really different but it's about them doing the same thing keeping the same thing longer mm. and being more stable um so before your question i want to make the argument if you think about the capital market and what the concern is about nintendo is that nintendo will go bust mm. and there's so many things that show me nintendo has built a more resilient more recurring business they also have a huge share of software as a service subscriptions because you can subscribe to playing online you can subscribe to getting access to some of the old adaptions of the games mm. so they are more kind of a stable business where you say okay you could grow the switch ecosystem from now 90 million to 200 million devices you might be even able to make a switch to pro that still works with the old stuff Mm. but also hedge people into buying new devices. You could directly access the customer and don't have to put margin away for um, the retailers. You don't have mm -hmm. to put margin away for making these cartridges. Mm. These cartridges and put this, this plastic chips in here because people can buy it directly and download it. So you save ah. it. You can have even higher prices because you're Nintendo, because you're yeah. some kind of the Mercedes, the, the Apple or whatever you want to compare it of, um, of production of uh, video games. So they have a chance to, yeah, build it in a, in a good way. That's my take. I'm bullish and this yeah. is not wise, but I think there's a chance that they might have come out of this boom bust circle okay. and the street this is where I think it's an interesting investment because the perception, even if they did good, still is it will go down. They will Understand. bust. Understand. But they are doing so many things to broaden their business, to get more people to their core. And that it's, I don't think the chance is that big. Understand. Understand. And it's still um, a crazy business because you can't, <laughs> they earn on this device they are on this yeah. device they yeah. are on the software and the software sales that get bigger and bigger over time mm -hmm. strong yeah great I, I i it seems that you're really bullish and enthusiastic about nintendo let's let's switch it 
slightly a gear uh, back into more of a, I would say a, a, a macro kind of question. Um, what are the headwinds that a lot of, uh, okay, and, and we, it's a perception that uh, I, I, based on what I read is that European markets are stagnant. They are, they're not interesting to invest. It's not just Germany. It's like countries of Italy. It's Europe uh, period. Yeah. yeah it's, like, it's like there's no growth in Europe. What's your view on that? You know, <laughs> Based on what you see, I mean, as a German consumer, as a German investor, uh, and also Europe in particular, uh, in general, there's a lot of perception that Europe is just flat. People look through to Asia, Southeast Asia, North, uh, North Asia for for growth, for China for growth. But Europe, there's no, there's no chance. Uh, are you countering that? Are you agreeing with that? Or you know, what's your take? It's, it's a yes, no, or maybe <laughs> answer. <laughs> I want to do it. The perfect answer. No. Um, I'm generally not a fan of this perception of markets and economies you're investing in, more bottom-up, fundamental-driven investors like you are as well. Mm -hmm. So generally, I've, if you, I go on this level of the macro level, yes, I could say if I could find arguments that Europe is an old, cunt, uh, old economy and that it's not really growing, but then you have to, that's, I don't think it's, we aren't in ETFs investors and ETF investors yeah. believe they have to go to the regions and bet on the regions and they grow and they just mix the ETF portfolio depending on whatever. Yeah. But generally I think looking out in the future, I think our world is, is for different challenges, climate change and economic upheavals more getting more fragmented. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you think about, Oh, there are also different studies that translated in the stock market. So there is, if you just bought like the best percent of the index, uh, they would have performed like crazy and you're buying all the other companies are really that good. So mm -hmm. I think it makes sense to do stock picking. Okay. And focus on the opportunities that are interesting. And then a whole different world opens up for you where this broad category is might be also for your surplus. Okay. Because if you think about the people you're competing with in Europe, Okay. And the people you're competing with in Asia and in the US, I think Europe is a bit of easier to win mm. because there aren't that many people looking for growth companies. They go to China. If you think like Alibaba, how many people talked about Alibaba from the West that were interested in it without having a clue? And I did post a video with some of European growth investors that also have global portfolios, but they have focus on Europe. Mm. Companies did an IRR of 30, 25% per annum. Yeah, it's insane. And nobody's right? watching these videos. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and most of them are Europeans. So if you think about this, if I look at the small and mid cap space in Europe and Germany, it's for me, it's easier to understand because I'm coming from this background. Correct. I think my thesis is more and more, and also I found this in a video with one of the big venture players. Um, that they are coming to Europe because there are interesting companies being built that are tech companies that are also getting bigger. Netherlands, Poses yes. is there. They have yeah. a big portfolio. It's also a way to play Tencent uh, if you're interested in it. But I would love to not own Tencent and just have the other portfolio because I like it more. Mm -hmm. In Sweden, you have an ecosystem of great companies that are Correct. growing strongly. Um, 
you have in Germany, you have some interesting companies in the middle stand that have long, wrong ways for growth. Mm. So you have also delivery hero and just delivery businesses. So there's some interesting companies in Europe and I don't think they are like on the example of HelloFresh. I know it more mm-hmm. as I was looking at it, the price they get in Europe <laughs> versus mm-hmm. the price they get in the US is different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And German investors don't not like tend not to strongly look at these companies and might feel this is, this is an odd investment mm. or not of not of their framework. So you have this mispricings that are more interesting. Yeah for investors so for you i would say keep on investing in asia you're closer to the subject you know what companies are good yeah um but for european investors i think it's if you have a certain mindset and looking for interesting growth companies maybe it's not like you don't have it silicon valley like you don't have the uber google facebook uber whatever connection but if you look for it you find this one company that could 10x from here yeah. and uh, it looks like if you look at the valuation you still think why is that so <laughs> so, so cheap yeah it's like exactly in the us you have a lot of more a lot more competition so yeah i'm still quite fine with um, looking at the european companies and you have this maybe a problem maybe surplus it depends on your stance but Europe, I don't know how is it in Asia and Southeast Asia is like Europe is Germany, Austria, Switzerland parts. Then this is maybe one region. Then you have France with the own language and the own rules. Italy, right. then you have UK, they went away. They're doing their own thing. Then you have yeah. the Nordics. So it's more fragmented. So it's mm. harder for companies to scale up. Yeah. But it's also harder for competition to come in. So if they mm. made it to scale up to a European player, um, they have one of the second largest uh, or largest uh, financial sphere. Yeah. And own it. And for other competitors, it's harder to get in. Yeah. Because um, they also have to go through the struggle and they better invest their money in the US. There you have like from the West to the East Coast, you have maybe the same structures. Yeah. That, that's a very Depends interesting a on the industries as well. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a very interesting insight that I, I I wanted. Actually, this was one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk to you because uh, I was very privileged. I spent um, uh, a good part of uh, uh, almost a year uh, in in Holland, and I traveled uh, while I was working there. I traveled, and I noticed that the even though they call themselves a European Union, and I had a Schengen visa because Malaysians they uh they, we get a Schengen visa. So I could travel freely in those Scandinavian mm-hmm. countries, but the divergence of the culture, even though uh, there's Germanic, you know, the Germanic part, mm. the Germanic part of it, and you've got the, uh, the the southern side of the Italians, the cultural and the nuances in between the different countries are are, are quite diverse. In, in a way, mm. I had a I had a tour guide. There was one one time I, uh, I my wife and I we had a honeymoon in Europe, and the tour guide she's Dutch, and she said that you know. Uh, if there's heaven and earth, so there's a joke. Uh, uh, the, if it's uh, heaven and earth, uh, the heavens will be administered by the Germans or the Swiss. <laughs> and if it's, if it's hell, then it will be administered by the Italians or the Greeks. In defense, you needed to add the second part, which is the food. You know? Ah, the food. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in reverse. Uh, 
in, in reverse. So if, yeah. if if it's in heaven, mm-hmm. the food is managed by the Italians. Yeah. <laughs> but then, but then if in hell, uh, the food will be managed by the Germans. Uh. so it, it, it's just like a, <laughs> it's just to highlight the different nuances of the the, the European culture. And you, I, I'm glad you brought this up because, you know, you'll be in Germany. Uh, you see clocks everywhere. And then you go to Italy, you hardly see a clock in the, you know, probably one in the train station, but you, you don't see that, you know. And I think also it boils down to the entrepreneurism, uh, mm. the, 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 the pace of life. You know, Italians, not to say they're not, not competitive. I mean, they, they, they make great cars, but in terms of position, in terms of how they bring that position into business also helps for you to understand when, when it's investing. Would you not agree, uh, Tillman? It's even gets it even gets more complicated if you think about the different like you have a German part of Europe, but there uh-huh. are differences in the German part of Europe. Because here in the South, thanks to the like the ancestors of the Italians, the Romans, we have this this Roman settlements. Yeah. And if you look at the map of my region, you see it's mm-hmm. very dense. You have small valleys, and they have you they were all built for the supply of the Romans. Mm. So this settlements continued. And in the region I grew up, I was behind the wall where the wild Germans lived. Ah, <laughs> like my okay. settlements is, it's less dense. So you have a lot yeah. of distance between it and you have different agricultural structures built on this, this former structure. And it's maybe a bit uh, taken from far away, but I also see that you have these small villages and all had to specialize in different way. You don't have big cities. Mm. We have one industry, so you have this Mittelstand foundation might also come from this. Mm-hmm. And you have different cultures. I'm living in Berlin also a bit. And I'm coming to Stuttgart, which is 600 kilometers different. You have different cultures. Um, oh, yeah. Really Jeez. like um, North and South Malaysia. I don't know how there are differences yeah. in the way people are acting. So it's not the same cultural way and also how business is done what industries you have there correct so correct. here in the south it's car meshing creations the north it's it's they're building ships and their industries were disrupted so you have different migration patterns you have different mixes like there's danish minorities and there's strong mm. turkish minorities somewhere and you have this east-west differences in germany so it's more complicated you have like common rules it's more and more getting integrated with european union and also with trade negotiations but it's still not the same country as the us us was built like a few hundred years ago and everything is or they yeah homogeneous a a little bit more homogeneous yeah Yeah. Yeah. they're culturally connected i always wanted to get you know uh, the views of a german because um uh, I'm not sure if there's a, a risk of uh, insulting other Europeans, but <laughs> for a lot of people on from the outside, uh, the European Union is is basically held up by Germany yeah. and to a lesser extent France, right? I mean, they are the, the powerhouse in continental Europe. So, you know, with... And, and they had the UK, right? Until Brexit mm-hmm. happened. And uh, the feeling was kind of like the UK left you know, Germany and France alone, right? So, you know, from the perspective of a German, right, what do you see now, you know, when it comes to the European Union? Because the whole idea was that you would have a currency and you would hopefully thaw uh, historical differences by connecting economics, by making, you know, Europe 
pole. And obviously that is being challenged right now. So, you know, as a German being right in the center, right? And, you know, what do you think? I think it's more the, the idea of the blue banana. Maybe you've heard it already. No, there's, we have not. no please there's, enlighten us. <laughs> there's a, if, you, if you draw a map of Europe, you can draw a blue banana going from Mailand uh, through south of Germany, some parts of France, up to Netherlands and UK. Yeah. Okay. And also Paris. These are the strong zones of economic development. And mm. uh, there are a lot of strong firms. And also, if you think about this line, then the east of Germany and the north of Germany isn't super included in it. You can Google it mm -hmm. and hope I have this trap somehow right. These are the stronger region in Europe. So the north of Italy is also crazy how, how much strong firms they have compared to yeah. the south of Italy that's poor yeah. and has development problems. And in France, it's also the centralized state that has a strong role there so it's more dispersed and uh, for germany it's also win-win this mm. uh, european union you have a lot of things to export to different countries and you have to have demand there people asking for german products for the german economy to boom so if there wouldn't be china buying german products or the us or other countries it would also be hard for our model so mm. um This is the way we plan. And so we have to be able to, others are interested in buying our products. And we had this trade surplus, which is also a bit of a fake surplus because I think 10 to 20% of the, I haven't looked up the numbers recently, so it might be roughly wrong, but hmm. that's the corridor of our things weren't paid because other mm -hmm. people couldn't pay it because we wow. have the surplus, the strong, and they, they couldn't, pay it back so okay <laughs> we're producing things for the outside if this too am imbalanced that might be a bit of a problem mm -hmm. but um yeah generally germany is dependent on the on the world and that the world is in a good state mm. that's also one yeah. thing to it, take away yeah did, did i answer your question right i sorry i lost no it's in uh it's as as in at least from the outside what what we are, are observing in asia is that europe europe is europe is re reversing you know in a way yeah yeah um not 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 regressing but they're just reversing the idea of a a united europe right and and yeah. you know kind of you know the uk basically thanks to Brexit, kind of kicked that off, right? And then you had the the, the Grexits, the, the Frexits and all that talk, right? And, it, and what do you think about all of that? It might happen that we see stronger problems there. I'm personally pro-European and Europe is a big chance for, um, mm -hmm. for Germany and all the nation states. And if you want to have a stronger position in the world, you have to speak as Europe. Yeah. There's some setbacks in this, but if you think about the nation building in the US, <laughs> it was even harder for them to yeah. build it. And there's still like, if you think about the blue states on the coast and the red yeah. states in the middle, it's also fragmented. So All right. it's, it's not that easy, um, but I think Europe is still in okay state. Things could be better, um, but I think in all in all, it has been a success for the people and we will see how the Brits handle it. Yeah. They have a shortage of truck drivers. Oh, yes, yes. Things are in problems there. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of like how they will play it out. I wish them all the best for their project, but I think it wasn't the wisest decision, but we will see how this plays out. Yeah. And, and they actually 
have this word that you know the moment Angela Merkel steps down, she's the she's the glue that is hold, still holding it together. But the moment Angela steps down, then the likelihood of you know uh, the disbursement of the European as a union as a state that that will be very interesting to see. What are your thoughts? I mean, she's she's is she the longest serving chancellor? No, you disagree with that. Um, I'm not sure if there was one longer, but she's really long in office. Yeah, yeah. But the thing about her is, if you look at it from the economic perspective, she has many is plus and minus. Um, she I has see. integration. She did things right. But from the economic perspective, compared to other countries, we didn't invest enough in Germany. Mm. We have this idea of being fiscally conservative, which has also led to not push through investment projects. Like mm. our internet is maybe, maybe your internet is better as ours. <laughs> <laughs> and our bridges have to be renovated and our trains have to be, trains project has to be renovated. We're doing now more, but it's not like, if you're building a, a state demand for the construction industry, it's not clever to go up and down. Mm -hmm. But just mm -hmm. to say, I'm constantly investing for the next 10, 15 years and it's going up 5% mm. every year or something like this. So okay. the construction industry can build um, structures and you can build uh, people, educate people working there and you can pay this in a matter that makes sense. But we haven't really done it in a good way we've saved too much i see and in the long run it's also like it's not only the the, the debt structure you have but also the essence on the balance sheet as a country if you want to play mm. it like this and there we have problems with investing i see so there's a still unsatisfied <laughs> many people aren't really satisfied with this politics she did a lot I of see. good things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she was loved by the people but she wasn't really the counselor that wasn't innovating enough and investing, it's not about being about aggressive enough. It's being about clever also enough, like that you invest. So you have this investment project. If you put great internet everywhere, it's mm. just an investment for a while. But then based mm. on this, you can build different structures and you can have different businesses enabled. And if you don't do this as a public hand, it's a problem. And so at a certain point, yeah. there should have been more investments. Um, I so think. there might also be a chance to make things better now uh, with a new government. So yeah. it isn't, it might be at some points be a problem because she really got it <laughs> to manage things, but it was waiting till the problem explodes and then containing it. Okay. And okay. Okay. Got you. It's, I think politics is more about problem surfing. Um, yeah. If, yeah. If you see the problem coming up, but um, yeah, that's yeah. maybe too idealistic. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's it, it's interesting because uh, I, I mean to sum up your point, it's about investing gradually to see the multiplier effect rather than being so physically disciplined and conservative that you know once you want to catch up, it's a little bit mm. too late because this kind of infrastructure needs progressive investment rather than a one-off like what you said. Mm. Yeah, it's it's if you think about housing, there's a simple idea: if you have the scratch in your housing surface. And if you do it in the first year, it costs you a few bucks. Yeah. And if you renovate five years after the whole surface is damaged, you have to change the whole surface, have to do the whole surface new, yeah. and you have costs that go up with a multiplayer effect. All right. Correct. And All also right. in Germany, we still have the thinking, yeah, we have to be physically conservative and have to look that our numbers are good as a state. But then you have this 
implied debt in the investment you need to do in infrastructure, which might mm. be even bigger in the US. But there's another point we could discuss. And yeah, <laughs> we'd love yeah. to discuss with US, US guy. But I think you guys are way ahead of US in terms of infrastructure. In my point of view, yeah. <laughs> I might be wrong, but yeah. yeah, I think there's also a point to make here. But anyways, um, if you don't invest in infrastructure, it costs you more in the long run. And mm. uh, yeah. And it's yeah. also hard for businesses to to build out new structures um, because if you want to digitize and you don't have in your rural side the internet connection that enables you to digitize, how could you yeah. do it? So and digitizing yeah, exactly. could improve profitability and you could use it to reinvest in certain other perspectives. So there's this problem of not enough investments in certain area. Understood. Understood. Great. Um, I want to touch a little bit on the emotional side, Tillman. Um, do you think that, you know, I think you mentioned this a, a little bit earlier about German investors being conservative. Uh, what do you think uh, uh, probably are the fears or certain nuances of European investors comparatively to uh, American or other Asian investors that you've met? I mean, you've interviewed many of them. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you picked up like, you know, certain nuances that they had and comparing them against, you know, probably European investors. Are they, are they contrasts or are they more commonalities in between the habits or, or, or the emotional side of the investors actually? I can talk a bit for the German structures mm-hmm. and uh, for Europe, it's a bit hard. I think you have a very interesting ecosystem in Sweden. Mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. you have it's it's a country with I hope I get it right six million inhabitants maybe ten twelve yeah, million somewhere there five big. five to six yeah 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 it's not that big and um, they have a really interesting stock market cultures with this Latour and uh, Invest RB really compounding machines and people are more into stock market but it's also the, the country with the highest tax rates it's quite interesting <laughs> yes that's like, right that's right where everyone with their ideology says how can this work the swedish <laughs> the socialism but they are great investors long-term builders and yeah. uh, you have a bit of italy that are or other european countries that really like investing in housing Mm. Like, uh, if you think about Berlin, a lot of the housing there was bought by Swedes, by Dens, by other um, regions, Ital- Italians. You have a lot of housing investment or cement investment, uh, mm. or tourism investment in Spain. Mm-hmm. So you have these people who like to invest in housing. It's also one big prevalence in Germany. Okay. Like every German has to own its house. And oh. uh, this is an idea many have which doesn't make really sense if you think about tech space and how you could put costs in uh, when you think about housing and stuff like this. So there's this this tendency to invest not in stocks because the people think it's speculative. Mm. You can plan with it. And this aversion for stocks. And um, there's also what I like as an investing topic more and more is also the connection between sustainability and stock investing mm, that's yes, also GDs. because the stock market scene is not really green uh, to okay. say it in this way they aren't mm. really interested in the stocks but through the last years it's gotten better and better uh, but mm-hmm. we will see how it plays out in the long term and there in germany you have a high 
what is really popular in German YouTube is videos of fear, doom, and gloom, and we have the okay. next crash, and everything is breaking up, and the euro <laughs> is collapsing, and you have to hide under your table because everything is so bad. Okay. And that's a bit of a hard topic to build optimism, great businesses, yeah. and uh, to look for the future and be problem-solving and forward investing if you have this mindset. Wow. There could be could be points to be bad <laughs> bullish about the uh, bearish about the future. That's the word mm. I was looking for. Mm. But I think it's not the collapse of social the social systems and all the fears that are going up and down. And you have this, I don't know how it's in Malaysia, you have this big tradition of gold sellers. So you have this scene of people who want to sell gold or silver bulletins and you have to own it as a protection for your wealth if the oh. state comes and ah. wants to get all your wealth and the socialists come and whatever. Uh -huh. It's it's in the long run, you, there might be arguments for why you should own 1% of your wealth in gold. Well, But all in all, it's like, this Buffett thing is, is true for me. It's gold is like you, you dig something out of the earth with a high energy investment that you yeah. you put it away into treasuries and pe let guard people to protect it it's not really yes. protective what no nope. people are doing here yeah. and it's it's mainly a protection for the fear and then in the last years you got bitcoin as an asset class that's competing yeah. against you that's more flexible you don't have this guarding cost if you don't lose your passport <laughs> yeah. it's easier to transfer it and it's The new generation is more into Bitcoin, so there's a lot of demand going away from the gold thing. And it might be like stamps. Yeah, there's certain points you had stamp collectors, and the stamps got the value declined. I might yeah. be wrong. There were, could be people arguing gold is so interesting because it has been there since uh, ages, and yeah. gold is so safe and people trust it. But then you have the question: <laughs> if you want to buy a bread with gold. <laughs> That's this gold coin is 1000 euros. How can I buy a bread with it? Yeah, yeah. I want to have a bread for one gold coin, so you have to own silver <laughs> if you want to make it in a sensible way. Yeah, but then you have to take care that this, it isn't fake silver or fake gold, and the storage costs are high, so it could work. But if you think about the industrial uses of it and stuff like this, it's not that sensible. And then you have this point with gold. Mm -hmm. You're thinking that the state and the state system collapses and that everything goes bad and the state you're safe from state the state taking your money. This is some of the arguments of the gold guys. I'm not a gold guy, so it's hard to yeah. find this argument. I, I mean your chem, Tillman Dory. But, I mean your chem. <laughs> but the thing is, you're betting <laughs> you're betting on a market that is owned to 30% by the guy you don't like. Mm -hmm. Because the states own like 30, 50% or 25, whatever it is, uh, of the gold market. So they could easily, want, on the one side, they could go and take your gold or make high taxes on it. All right. On the other side, if the gold price goes too high, who's sitting on gold? The states. They could yeah, say, the I'm selling now. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> On yeah, yeah, the, yeah. They could ruin your fortune because like if the gold price goes to 10,000 euros an ounce, they say, I have something in the seller. Why don't we sell this for social purposes? And the yeah. gold price, like they could, like they easily could easily dump 10% of the gold in the market onto the market. 
Mm. Why should the, the market price be the same as it was before if they easily dumped like 10% of the gold in the market? Yeah. Yeah. Why should yeah. the states really then take care of the gold savers? Mm. Yeah, Why? That's right. It's, yeah. it's irrational yeah. to bet against them. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, I just Googled out while you were talking about it. Apparently, the, the love of gold stems from the origin since the Weimar Republic a century ago. Yeah, the Weimar is that, Republic. Is that, yeah, yeah, is that what? This high inflation in Germany. Um, yeah. Value was, the value of money was nothing. And uh, I had this, this, I lived in this house as I was grew up as a kid. <laughs> it was built in the Weimar ages. And then I did try to connect the lamp to the roof and did some... Uh, machine to open the, the, the drill and the there drill, was huh? driller driller there was coal coming out of it and I was totally puzzled why this is happening and my father told me it was built in the Weimar Republic they had to get everything they could to fill it in there to even have the the roof covered wow. so we had this this problems and then you had lorries of money to carry to buy bread and stuff like this it was really bad in this state but mm. Also, states learn from this. If you mm -hmm. think about COVID, you had these fears and they did really invest and not let the economy collapse and did many good things, even save the, the airline industry, which can be mm. resumed and connected again. Yeah. So I'm not sure about inflation. Maybe we have it around. There might be some data points coming that shows we have inflation for a while, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, MJ, you got any questions? I, I do have one, which is, uh, Please, go you know, it's, it's also in the vein of financial habits, right, for Germans. And, you know, I was actually uh, watching, I think John, you've watched this as well, a documentary about ah. uh, kind of like the perception of wealth that German have, uh, Germans oh, yes. have. Yes. Right. And, and you know, I think they interviewed a billionaire. I can't remember his name really. And uh, the Carl, Carl, yeah, it's from DWTV, Tillman. I love the mm -hmm. documentary, DWTV. So, so they, yeah. interviewed, uh, they interviewed this billionaire, then they interviewed a bunch of guys in, in the middle class and kind of get the sense of what they, what, how they think, right? And so one thing that struck really to me that you don't really see in Asia is um, not necessarily a hatred for wealth, but kind of skepticism, right? Yeah. It's kind of like bad to be a multi-millionaire or billionaire. And, you know, um, I, I'm sure there's a German word to describe this phenomenon. But yeah. um, is that something that, that that's true? Because clearly I'm only basing my opinions on, that, on, uh, on the documentary. And, you know, yeah. the, the only uh, two countries I've been in Europe is, you know, the UK and, and Turkey, right? Uh, the, the rest, no. So, like, is, my, is, is that a fair description? Yeah, uh, the, by is. the way, uh, sorry to interrupt. The name yeah. of the guy they interviewed was Christoph Kro uh, Kroner. Okay. Christoph Kroner, the real estate mogul. Kroner. <laughs> ah, yeah. yeah, this guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. have a certain, like in a, the real estate market, it's a bit special. I'm also staying away from it mostly because I had this one, like in Germany, we had a huge um, collection of housing owned by the state. And we mm -hmm, had just mm -hmm. privatization uh Orgy in the 2000s, as we were thinking Germany was that patient of uh, Europe, and we did make this private. And with private owners, you have a different rent policy for people mm -hmm. who rent, and they reduce investments, they increase prices. So, this situation in this housing district gets worse. And I think it's for me, it's behavior I don't want to 
be invested in. There might be mm. some interesting connections and in investments in the housing market, but mm -hmm. all in all, some of the practices of these companies are bad. So there's a lot of critique. Okay. But generally in German, you you don't have this 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 celebration for entrepreneurship and investing as in other countries. It's more critical seeing. Ah. Capitalism is bad. Okay. Yes, you have this 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 perception. Okay. okay. And I I think yeah. I'm not into this so socialist capitalist ideologist debate. You have mm -hmm. to um you have to build the in-between thing. Like we Germans have the idea of the the social like the social capitalism or the social marktwirtschaft or um, market economy. Mm -hmm. So there is more like the Swedish model is more a thing I like uh, because okay. you have protection of the basic uh, human needs with this model and you have a certain safety and you also have incentives and an interest to invest in certain things and uh, yeah okay. so i think it's more the bridge that's interesting but there's also many critiques on on investing and uh, yeah but i also think if you've talked to different value investors many aren't really satisfied with some of the economic developments I had this interview with Stephen Wood and he said mm. it doesn't make sense if we optimize for the next and next quarters. Understand. It doesn't really make sense. And there this this short-term thinking, not thinking in like five till ten years, just optimizing, taking money out mm -hmm. isn't also the solution. Um I see. But there is no there's no is there um maybe I didn't uh 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 there is no despise in between um, the working class against uh, the the what do you call it the so-called the haves in a way in Germany is, is that divide or is that sentiment very very big very is thrown is really thrown upon I mean people uh, despise the rich and then they like there is no equality for the working class is that is there a very strong sentiment or is is there not I think for the last years we don't have that big deep about this it was a big bigger in the the years we had economic decay okay there is still we germany has one of the big um, markets for cheap labor you don't okay. think about this because you think about germany as a rich country but we have with the structural reforms build a market for cheap labor so jobs that are just paying you enough to survive but not to really save and stuff like this i, I see and jobs that aren't really good. Um, so there is a certain talk and reality into this. Um, mm. um, but still, Germany is a big middle-class society. You have these problems you have all over the world. At a certain level, people are so rich that they can use many ways to move their wealth and to invest in certain structures that keep them compounding to a high degree. Mm -hmm. But if you're going into the, the tax and wealth debates, it all gets really fuzzy at a certain yeah. point. Uh, yeah. Because compared to the US, Germany is also a tax haven in some ways. If you want to start a fund, you can start this fund and then sell and buy stocks without paying big taxes. You can even start mm, a company mm. and buy and sell stuff without big tax. Um, 
the probability. So if you look from outside on the tax rates and the reality is there, it's, there's so many exemptions, so many ways to modelize it. So I think it's generally a global problem that you have. Yeah. It's not just German. Yes. Have a certain class that's staying above all uh, global class. If you want to do it in this class way, but it's also in sociology, I've also this study it's describing Germany in different milieus called or subgroups. And you have mm -hmm. the, have the post-materialist people who are not looking into material things. You still have mm. the guys or girls who like the Mercedes and the big houses and stuff like this. But many people are more into, yeah, not owning that much uh, minimalism. Uh, you have these different subgroups. I see. And I the, see. the societal tensions in Germany are getting bigger through okay. the last years. Maybe it's also with the immigration crisis we had that there are some... Yeah. Shifts have happened, which are in my eyes really bad. Um, but it's all still uh, compared to the tensions you see in the US, for instance. We also had this Reichstag attack with the Corona stuff, uh, mm. but it wasn't like there is, is isn't that big of a tension, I think. But I'm not <laughs> I'm not a comparable sociologist, so it's just yeah. my gut feeling. So I understand. I, I understand. think yeah, yeah. Germany is yeah. still a quite peaceful and. Uh, nice place in many great, areas great great uh just don't change don't lower the quality of the bratwurst okay then i'll come back yeah. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> yeah okay um you also have vegan ones so you could try oh yeah you know i my trip to uh to berlin was uh bratwurst non-stop for almost three days uh, the only time i switched was because uh, i went for certain schnitzels and and Rosti, but Rosti is more Swiss than German, right? If I'm not mistaken. Rosti is yeah, the Swiss. Yeah, that's the Swiss. Yes, um, but it okay. depends a bit on the quality of the the meat you're eating there. And I, I saw some of the production videos. It's not always that good. Um, okay. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, no worries. No, the next time that MJ and I do have a chance to visit Germany, you know, yeah. definitely we'll. Yeah, ho hopefully you can show us around to find a good quality. Sure. Ones, okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, coming back to to what you're starting, I want I want I want to now to pivot into this section where uh mm -hmm. to talk about the work that you're doing on on the good. Okay, let me get this right. The good investing website. Talk, so talks. Yeah, yeah. Good investing talks. Um, you said you started this uh with a few friends. Uh, it, it said value dach. If I pronounce it mm -hmm. correct, value dach. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you wanted to get a website going for a community of uh, German-speaking value investors in Germany, mm -hmm. Austria, and Switzerland. How did that work out? How How do you guys get together and you know share a common belief system in a way? Uh, I think value investing is is a frame to to combine this and mm -hmm. um, also the interest in really nerding about stocks. Um, okay. And the the amount of people that really invest deep time into stocks and investing isn't that big in Germany. Okay. I think it's maybe a few hundred. Um, Whoa, so wow. I wow. did connect some of them. It's not that, like, it depends a bit on how you count the professionals in. Ah. And you have the fund industry and the, the fund workers there. But the industry isn't that big. So mm -hmm. um, it's a few hundred, maybe a few thousand. But then you have to, like the, the pure people looking at stocks and investments, it's not mm. that that huge. 
and okay. running investment firms, it's still tiny. So I try to connect people who are passionate about it and mm -hmm. uh, started with different meetings in different cities. It's Frankfurt, Berlin, Stuttgart, Munich, wow. Zurich, uh, Cologne, Hamburg. Yeah. And uh, yeah, through yeah, Corona, it all went a bit too different twist because we couldn't meet so we did some yeah. online sessions and connected yeah, yeah this is great i i you know um i'm a big fan of um oh how can i forget his name oh guys guy spear uh, -huh. uh you know and um uh when i first read his book about two to three years ago and he he picked zurich as a, a, a place of domicile to get away from the hustle and bustle of wall street you know um what do you see uh, in the values that, you know, foreign, okay, for the lack of a word, foreign investors that are not from Europe, non-Europe native uh, investors that actually bring value to the investing community in Europe? Do, do, they, do they interact a lot? Like people like Guy Spear and all that, obviously he, he talks a lot with Monish, his good friend, but does he interact a lot with the, German, uh, the European investing community in, in your perspective and in your... In your inexperience actually i don't know for a guy i can talk for him you have to ask okay. him yourself maybe okay, he's coming sure. um, the thing is um european investors are really drawn to the us so ah. most of them speak english okay so you have this that's also i went into english because you have many of them being able to speak english or even understand it so mm -hmm. there is a huge interest in the us and we have a group of germans always going to omaha there's a group of oh maybe it's 200 germans or so going to omaha wow the pilgrimage <laughs> yeah so there is not that yeah it's not that um super german culture and mm -hmm. uh yeah you have a bit of a close close more close scene in the german small and mid-cap scene that's mostly german but if you're having a fund that's not only invested in German small and mid-cap scene, a friend of mine, he runs a fund, Felix Gode, I also did an interview with him. Okay. He has limited the investment amount in his fund to 40 million uh, okay. because that's the limit to be really able to invest in great companies and compound okay. in the small and mid-cap space. Yeah. And if if they, they are starting a new product with Europe and it might get bigger, Okay. Um, because in Europe, you have more opportunities. With Europe, automatically you switch into the business language, it's English. So you have yeah. a lot of English speaking people there. Yeah. 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 Um, after interviewing um, so many value investors, especially uh, the, what, the, guests, the guests that you have on your mm -hmm. show are, are stellar, you know, a lot of guys there. I think MJ and I can agree, you know, these are guys that we really look up to. What are the common themes that you see recurring among these uh, great managers? Actually, what what what's what are the things that recur? I mean, you see this 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 particular habit or a particular style of investing that recurs among these great managers, actually, from your point of view. It's focus okay. and being able to to say no to many things. Okay. Like um, they aren't really interested to invest in all of the stocks that are global there, but they're interested in uh, investing in a few great companies um, and really be able to 
increase the size of their positions to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a high bar for quality and they have a long struggle to find this quality. Um, I see. And uh, through the last years, there is a certain tendency to stick to there's this this one branch of really deep value guys that really stick to something that's extremely cheap mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. sell it net, net. just cheap. Yeah. You could do this. But many of the more successful guys are into internet scale businesses. So businesses that are some kind of monopolies that have an unfair advantage um, mm-hmm. that um, are able to own a certain niche and have yep. the scale economies they could share and give back or just have the only asset set that allows them to be the leader in the of the pack in their region. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's um, about using or looking for high rates to deploy capital and uh, reinvest it at this high rates. Okay. Okay. Sounds very, yeah, very, very similar to what we have come across as well. MJ, any questions for Tillman? I, I'm pretty um, sure I saw. Yes. Oh, uh, if we are towards the end, I, yeah. I really want to ask, uh, this is a, you know, a red light question. So, you know, you, you studied politics. So, uh, do you, do you have a favorite, uh, you know, German philosopher? And you know, what what football team do you support if you support any at all? Mm, I have a f- French philosopher I oh. uh, like very much, and I did it use it in my studies. It's Pierre Bourdieu. Um, okay. He's a he's a sociologist and has philosophical influences and is more as a geologist and he gave a great theory for understanding society uh, which I could talk hours <laughs> I won't start anything but it's, it's, it really helped me to understand society and the dynamics there and how fragmented it is and what are power processes and it also gives me a framework to analyze companies mm-hmm. and give a certain emulation of what is happening there yeah it's 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 it was quite helpful for me, but it's uh, to understand him. It's not that easy. Okay, <laughs> he's really <laughs> sometimes he writing also. No, sadly not. Okay. Um, okay. But he's written so many books. He he studied the housing market, the production of houses, what is possible there, and gives interesting frameworks which you could also use for general understanding of companies, mm. how they are positioning to politics, how they are positioning to the financial markets and the cycles of the financial markets, and yeah. It's quite interesting. Great. If you think about society and the uh, countries, how different structures in them are as well. So I think it's we could find a common language even if you're from different countries on financial mm, things. That's right. And this language I even could find with some Germans. We asked us questions like the, how many of my 10 friends from school know finance? And it's like, yeah. What language are you talking, guy? Yeah, um, exactly. So, <laughs> so it's it's interesting how this this structures are overlap and how you could use it to analyze on a fuzzy is it and yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your favorite German football? Oh, ge- don't say German. Your favorite football team, and it doesn't ne- necessarily need to be German. But if it so happens to be German, then you know we're all ears. <laughs> I have a German uh, football team. Uh, I still have the cards of some of the players there. Um, uh-huh. It's SC Freiburg. 
It's a small oh, soccer Freiburg. club ah. with Christian Streich. Uh, he's quite funny as a trainer and is really like entertaining. And he's one of the longest trainers there. They're really long-term oriented. They also have a builder approach. Like they've built a lot of talents that are playing Academy. in the national team. Yeah. And uh, they aren't like super financially oriented. Like they soccer is a game where you make millions, but not yeah. as a as a uh, club but as a player <laughs> because the clubs don't really earn something big on this because all the goes in the players hands and the transfers yeah but they are all financially sound they have built a new stadium they've made it ecological and they have like nice more or less nice uh fanship fans are always strange sometimes but um, most people they are really funny so it's it's a bit of underdog thing i also love and that's mm. why I'm trying to interview not only like the big managers that made it, the superstars, but like the emerging guys that are really good and work hard and uh, bring great results. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's my favorite soccer team. Before before I, before we end, I think I have to ask you because I'm a avid football fan as well. So, but and and you know the big critis- criticism of the. Uh, Bundesliga is that you know it's it's Bayern Liga, <laughs> you know what it's I'm talking about, and uh, you know there's this the dominance is just so big, yeah. That basically, um, you know, the other nineteen teams are just supplying Bayern Munich with all the. It's basically the the youth team for Bayern Munich, and like <laughs> I was reading that day, I was surprised to find out that the second you can say second or third best team in uh, Germany, uh, Borussia Dortmund, uh, actually is being loaned money by Bayern. Bayern is actually loaning the money. So I, I, I find it really interesting. And, you know, like, do you think that's good for, like, are Germans fine with that kind of structure? Mm, if you, like, maybe one hint, Borussia Dortmund also is on the stock market. So uh-huh. for investors who want to play for the underdog, it might be interesting to look for the stock. <laughs> okay. um, the thing is, if you think about the Spanish league, it's Real or Barca. So yeah. it's the, the twos. And in Germany, Bayern is really strong. But they also have their weaknesses sometimes. So it could be interesting who's becoming second or third or fourth or sixth. So there's a lot of competition in there Mm -hmm. and uh, the British League for me is a bit of hard as a fan because if you want to go to the stadium and watch games there you (laughs) you can't combine it with uh, being a saver and uh, yeah you need to pay a lot investor because you need to pay pay a lot lot and it's yeah it's a lot and in Germany you can go there and pay like 20 euros for a day with drinks and beer and bratwurst I think yeah, like Arsenal is like what ninety pounds or something like that the ticket the basic yeah. ticket. So. Yeah. So in Germany it's like 10, 15, yeah. 20. So you can have like watch great games and have this fan culture still. So it has different qualities and the Brits really did good in the way they market it. It's mm. really fascinating what kind of business they built. Like Bundesliga was a bit sleepy there maybe. Or maybe it doesn't work as a product that good. But like, if you go to South Africa or Arab geographies, like it's Premier League, Premier League, Premier League. Hmm. And maybe if you exclude Bayern a bit from this league, it's still interesting because there's so much. Like Freiburg could also become like third number. At the moment, we are second or 
fifth or something like this. We've won some okay. games, so mm. quite interesting. And I think from the, if you don't look at Bayern only, it, it could be fun. Yeah. Let's mm. say it like this. And, but you know, yeah. Tying in our conversation about the perception of wealth uh, when it comes to Germans, I know there was a big, uh, I think there was noise being made when, uh, what's that, uh, when Red Bull, Got with ah. uh, I can't remember that that, that team. Um, the F one team is it? No, no, no. Yeah, they have the soccer game in Leipzig. Ah, uh, Leipzig, yes. Uh, Leipzig. Uh, so Leipzig, it used to be yeah, it used to be just a like Leipzig, right? And then they then they had the name, and then the stadium got renamed, and the fans didn't really like that. Mm. But like, do you see you know big you know corporations uh, kind of coming in like Red Bull, uh, kind of changing names and you know to get more commercial <laughs> spin? Is that like do you think that's we a have like or negative? We still have this already. Like we have the first one is Wolfsburg. They are owned by VW, Volkswagen. Then mm. is Bayer Leverkusen is owned by Bayer. Bayern Munich has an investment from Turkish Telekom and Audi in it. Mm. SC Freiburg is fourth. They are just regionally owned. They just have some corporations on the stadium with the name. Borussia Dortmund is listed, so they have investors behind them. Then you have Köln, Mainz, Union Berlin. They are independent. Then you have uh, independent like Freiburg. Then you have TSG Hoffenheim, which is um, owned by one of the SAP founders. Mm-hmm. Then you have Red Bull, uh, who's owned by Red Bull as a brand or Rasenballsport, they say, but it's Red Bull. Mm-hmm. And then you have Bochum, Bielefeld, Stuttgart. Stuttgart is also subsidized by Daimler and Porsche. So wow. or, I'm not sure mm-hmm. about Porsche, but they have them as sponsors. So there is already the, the big money in the, in the league. And uh, maybe sometimes the second league in Germany is more interesting because they are like <laughs> Schalke, Wolfsburg, uh, Schalke, Hamburg, um, Düsseldorf, whatever um, players there. Also Hertha BSC, they have an investor who's put 50 million in it. Mm. So it, I don't really like this, but it shows like if you as a Freiburg fan, it shows if you do good work, compound, uh, build good talent, you still have an option to play um, from time to time under the top league, and mm. uh, you don't have to support the big f- uh, clubs if you don't like it. And mm. uh, yeah, but it's still a, a business, and it's yeah, a it's business, a business with a huge right. with men who like to invest in it, and. Uh, even in, with with uh, the Premier League, you have this talk about um, the CEO of Spotify, Daniel Ek, buying Arsenal. Arsenal yeah, uh, yeah. And you have some small mid-cap guys who buy soccer clubs. And there's man will, if they have money, yeah, they will move we, into we, it. So Even our Malaysian tycoons love to buy English clubs. Huh? You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's quite interesting. It's just like a, the modern pet, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's like a checklist, lah. You've got your private jet, you've got your yacht. So next thing is either in the US, it's either a basketball club. In Europe or in Asia, it's either a football club. You know. So you know, this these are the kind of pet toys, uh, Yeah. Um, US has this quite interesting way to distribute players uh-huh. in some yeah. leagues. I've heard about it, but in Europe, we haven't found this this way. I, I don't and, think Europe wants it as well. I, I think with. The interesting thing about Freiburg is they attract certain talents um, and keep them even. Like we have some talents that play in the, like we have one guy, two guys in the German national team, one guy in mm-hmm. the Italian, 
um, some South Korean guys. So there is a certain niche if you put it in the right way. So there could be different stories written, um, but soccer is just like you have 10 years and you want to earn the most. That's that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, I've, I, I didn't even realize that two hours has passed. Uh, I, yeah. I thoroughly enjoy this. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wish we could go on. But, you know, I, I don't want to uh, take up too much of your time. Uh, so where can people find you, Tillman? Where, where can people reach out to you? So talk about your website. Talk about your channel. Yeah, the website is good-investing.net. There they can find it. And Good Investing Talks is the channel uh, it's called. Happy to see new subscribers. I have a contact formula on the website. I also have this community running so people can apply for it. I'm a bit picky uh, with it. So it's more for people who already know something in the stock market. Um, but um, do, feel do free to watch my videos. And do we qualify? I think you, I think <laughs> you would kidding. qualify. We have to apply, John. We cannot apply. No, 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 no. So people can reach out to me and uh, uh, contact me there. I'm also on Twitter, Good Investing C. It's cloud. I think it's called LinkedIn, whatever. Yeah, on Facebook, could... I'm more private. So LinkedIn or Twitter. <laughs> okay, LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, or you know the website, yeah. right? So we'll leave we'll leave all these uh, links in our comment section below. It's been an absolute pleasure, Tillman. Uh, danke schön. <laughs> and uh, danke schön. Hope- yeah. Yeah, we hope to, you know, probably catch you uh, either in Berlin or yeah. either on another episode where we can talk about, you know, other interesting things in the value investing space. So um, happy to I, help you also if you might want to reach out to a guest, uh, we can discuss this at a certain point. Great. Thank you so much, Tillman. Uh, this is all for the FIRO podcast today. I hope you have gotten as much uh, value and insights out of it, um, especially on the similarities that investing in Europe, financial literacy in Germany, as well as the good habits of focus that a value investor should have. So we'll see you all in the next show. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.